Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Almighty God our Father, we thank you for your scriptures. We thank you for what they reveal to us about the early work of your church and of your apostles. And we pray as we study this portion of your word today that you would guide and lead us so that we could follow in their steps and truly be an apostolic church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Things had to happen to Jesus because they were scripted by the scriptures. Not just in general, that Jesus had to be incarnate, that he had to live and do miracles and die and rise again and ascend, but in details, his life, his death, his resurrection was scripted by scripture. And Jesus tells his disciples this over and over again throughout the Gospels. Elijah has to come as the forerunner to the Messiah. And he does. That's John the Baptist. Jesus has to go to Jerusalem because that's where prophets are put to death. Jesus must die among thieves because that's what Isaiah prophesied. Jesus' garments have to be divided up among the soldiers at the foot of the cross because that's prophesied by Psalm 22. Jesus had to say, I thirst. In fact, in that passage, Jesus, knowing that the scriptures had to be fulfilled, says, I thirst. He consciously, deliberately fulfills the scriptures of Psalm 69. This happens over and over again. All the details of Jesus' life are scripted by scripture, and he's amazed that his disciples don't see it. After his resurrection, he's on the road to Emmaus with a couple of disciples. And they're mourning over the death of Jesus. And they're alarmed by the reports of Jesus' resurrection. And Jesus says, you're foolish and slow of heart to understand everything that's been spoken. Was it not necessary? Was it not necessary for the Christ to die, to suffer these things, and to enter into his glory? The apostles have a hard time grasping this. They don't recognize it through the entirety of the gospel story. But when we get to Acts, they finally catch on. Those 40 days that Jesus spent teaching his disciples after his resurrection, before his ascension, have paid off. And all through the book of Acts, we see the apostles teaching the way Jesus taught them to teach. Teaching everything concerning Jesus in all of the scriptures. On Pentecost, Peter quotes from Psalm 16, where David speaks about the Lord not leaving his soul in Hades and not allowing him to know decay. And Peter says, that can't be talking about David. David died. His tomb is right here. We know where his tomb is. His body decayed. It must be talking about another David. Psalm 16 is about Jesus. A little later in the same Pentecost sermon, Peter quotes from Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. That's Jesus too. And so is Deuteronomy 18, as Peter tells a group of Jews outside the temple. Deuteronomy 18, where Moses predicts a prophet like himself will arise. Jesus is that prophet like Moses. 
Psalm 118, Peter tells the Sanhedrin, is fulfilled in Jesus. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone of a new temple that Jesus himself, the greater Solomon, is building. So is Psalm 2. Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. And Paul says that's fulfilled in the resurrection of Jesus. A eunuch from Ethiopia is riding in his carriage and he's reading a scripture that says he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and Philip is suddenly there with him and he says, who is the prophet speaking about, himself or another? Philip knows the answer. Philip preaches Jesus to him. Acts actually ends in the same way that Luke ends. Luke ends with Jesus teaching his disciples everything concerning himself in all the scriptures teaching them that the scriptures are about the suffering and the glory of the Christ. And Acts ends in the very same place with Paul, not in Jerusalem, but in Rome. But he's doing the same thing. He's trying to convince the Jews concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from all the prophets. The apostles learn the hermeneutics lesson that Jesus gives them after his resurrection before his ascension they learn to read the scriptures as being about jesus but there's something else going on and that's relevant to our sermon text this morning it's not just that the the apostles recognize that jesus life death and resurrection fulfills the scriptures that all of jesus life was scripted by the scriptures but the apostles begin to recognize that their lives too have been scripted by scripture. This is why the lives of the apostles so closely follow the life of Jesus. You see this in general, right at the beginning of the book of Acts. Jesus received the Spirit as a baptism. The apostles received the Spirit at Pentecost. Jesus does miracles. The apostles do miracles, sometimes the same miracles. Jesus arouses opposition from the Jewish leaders. The apostles arouse opposition from the Jewish leaders. The Jewish leaders put Jesus on trial and wanted to put him to death. The Jewish leaders put Peter and John in prison until the Lord opens the prison and they're raised up in a kind of resurrection out of that death. We see it in the life of Stephen. Stephen's ministry is like the ministry of Jesus. His death is like the death of Jesus. As he dies, he repeats the words of Jesus from the cross. Lord, into your hands I commend my spirit. Do not hold this thing to their charge. We see it in the life of Peter. The last episode of Peter's life, as far as the book of Acts is concerned, follows step by step the death and resurrection of Jesus. Peter is put into prison as Jesus was put into a tomb. In the middle of the night, an angel comes to Peter and opens the prison, and Peter comes out. Peter goes to the place where all the disciples are, are praying for him, and a girl comes out and greets him and goes back and tells everyone, it's Peter, and no one believes her. And then finally they let Peter in and he describes what happens. He teaches them, he encourages them, and then he disappears. Basically, he's done with his part in the book of Acts. Step by step, imprisonment, release, appearance, appearance to a young girl, departure. Peter is following the death and resurrection of Jesus. Paul, Paul's life is scripted by the life of Jesus. A section of the book of Acts is uh, Paul moves from place to place and everywhere he goes, he's accused by somebody 
Sometimes he's accused by the Jews. Sometimes he's accused by the Gentiles. And for about five chapters, Paul never has a chance to defend himself. He receives all these accusations. All these charges are brought against him. And then finally, Paul gets a chance to defend himself. And once Paul gets an opening, he doesn't stop talking. And for about five chapters, Paul does nothing but defend himself. About ten chapters of the book of Acts is a big stretch-out trial scene. And by the end of it, Paul has appeared before every single one of the courts that tried Jesus. He's appeared before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish court. He's appeared before a couple of Roman governors, as Jesus appeared before Pilate. He's even appeared before Herod Agrippa, as Jesus was taken to a court of a Herod. The lives of the apostles are scripted according to the life of Jesus because their lives are also scripted by scripture. And that's what's happening in Acts chapter 1 when they're selecting a new (coughs) apostle to replace Judas. They've gone out to the Mount of Olives, the Mount of Anointing. And on that Mount of Anointing, apparently on a Sabbath day, Jesus has ascended into heaven. Jesus has disappeared into a cloud. And on the Sabbath day, as the Lord took his throne at the end of the creation week, so Jesus takes his throne at the Father's right hand. And the disciples go back to Jerusalem as Jesus had commanded them, and they're waiting for the Spirit to come. And as they're waiting, they're praying. Waiting means praying. And they're praying fervently, praying fervently for the Spirit to come upon them. And in the meantime, before the Spirit falls, during the ten days between Jesus' ascension from the Mount of Olives and the outpouring of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, the disciples decide that they need to fill in a gap. Uh, Luke lists 11 apostles. That's the, those are the only apostles left, of course, because Judas has betrayed Jesus and Judas is no longer counted as the twelfth apostle. And they recognize that that's an anomaly and it's an anomaly that needs to be fulfilled, it needs to be filled. It's a, it's a gap in their government of the church. But they're also fulfilling scripture. They're consciously fulfilling what the scriptures have said. Why do they need a twelfth apostle? Well, it's because, as Peter says when he gets up in front of this group, it's because the scriptures prophesied about Judas. The scriptures scripted Jesus' life, his arrest, his death, Part of that script is a betrayal, and the betrayer is part of the script. Judas, they find, within the scriptures. Peter quotes from a couple of different psalms. He quotes from Psalm 69, which is clearly a psalm about Jesus. This is a psalm that's quoted elsewhere in the New Testament. This is the the psalm that Jesus is thinking of when he asks for something to drink while he's on the cross. He knows the scripture must be fulfilled. And he asks for something to drink and they give him vinegar, which is just what Psalm 69 said. Jesus quoted from Psalm 69 during his upper room discourse. They hated me without a cause. That's from John 15, 25, but it's a quotation back to Psalm 69. Jesus was killed and crucified at Pentecost. And Psalm 69 includes a reference to a feast, a feast of David's enemies. And David prays that their table would become a snare. Psalm 69 is all about Jesus. And in that psalm, 
Peter finds a reference to Judas, the betrayer. The enemy of David in the psalm is the enemy of David, in uh, the new David in the gospel story, the new David that is Jesus. And Peter sees the uh, death of Judas as fulfilling this psalm. He quotes, may their camp be desolate and may none dwell in their tents. That's from Psalm 69. And it's a script of Jesus' life, but it's also a script of Judas's life. And it's also a script of the apostles' life. They're seeing not only Jesus, but themselves in the scriptures. Their lives, too, have been scripted by the Hebrew Bible. Then Peter quotes from Psalm 109. Let his, day be, let, let his days be few, and let another take his office. And Psalm 109, like Psalm 69, is a psalm about David being persecuted. And David pronouncing curses against his persecuted and appealing to Yahweh to intervene and save him from his persecutors. And Peter knows that's not entirely or not really about David, it's about Jesus and the persecutors of Jesus and the betrayers of Jesus. And when David asks and prays to the Lord that another one take his place, it's Jesus speaking in that psalm and speaking about his betrayer, Judas. And so Judas has to be replaced because his death and his his absence from the twelve is predicted and scripted by the Bible. Even the manner of Judas's death, as described here in Luke, resonates with what we find in the Old Testament scriptures. Judas dies in a kind of application of the lex talionis. The lex talionis is the principle of retaliation that we find all the way through the law of Moses. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, burn for burn, life for life, death for death. And Judas betrays innocent blood and he pays for it with his blood. He takes that blood money and he purchases a field. And the blood money which is given to him to hand over Jesus so that Jesus' blood would be shed becomes the place where Judas' own blood is shed. There's a symmetry, a divine symmetry in his death. But Judas falls on the field, it says, and his inside burst open and his intestines gush out. It reminds us of the jealousy rite back in the book of Numbers. If a woman was unfaithful to her husband or her husband suspected she was unfaithful, he would take her to the tabernacle and she would drink down this concoction of water and holy dust. And then if her belly swelled up, it was a sign that she had in fact betrayed her husband that she was an adulteress and she had to be punished. Judas has received a kind of jealousy test at the Last Supper. He receives a sop, a piece of bread that Jesus dips in the wine and hands over to Judas. And now Judas, being the betrayer, being the unfaithful one, has his belly swell and burst open. Judas dies like those who betrayed David. Judas dies like Ahab, whose blood was shed on the very place where he had shed the blood of Naboth, the very field that he had seized unjustly from Naboth. Judas dies like Jehoram, the king of Judah, who also died when his intestines came out of his body. Judas' death also fulfills the scriptures. And Peter knows that his absence from the twelve is a fulfillment of scripture. But there's another wrinkle here. 
Peter is not just looking at the providential, God's providential scripting of history and say, he can see the, how the scriptures are being fulfilled in the lives of the apostles. That scripting determines what they do about Judas' death. They conform to the script they're given in the scriptures. Uh, Peter says at the beginning of his little discourse here, it was necessary for Judas to, uh, to betray him. That was what, that's fulfilled, verse 16. The scripture had to be fulfilled with the scripture, with the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David. Judas had to betray. Judas had to die. But then he goes on to say at the end of his discourse, therefore we have to replace him because the text says so. Their decisions about a, a practical matter, like the kind of government that they have in the church, is, is not a decision that they make simply on the basis of practical concerns. After all, 11 disciples, 11 apostles, can, can govern the church as well as 12. Why don't they just keep it at 11? Well, it's because the scriptures have scripted that the one who fell should be replaced. Peter's decision, the apostles' decision to choose a replacement for Judas is a decision that's guided by the scriptures. They know that they're living within the story that's laid out in the Bible, and so they conform to that story. That's why they need 12. Why do they need 12 apostles? There's no practical need for that. But 12 apostles would make them the heads of a new Israel. They would be symbolically the patriarchs of a new people of God. 12 apostles would be a tithe of the 120 disciples that are with the apostles in the upper room. Jesus has promised that they will sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. They don't want an absent throne, so they need to replace Judas. Their decision to replace Judas is not guided by practical concerns about trying to lead the church. In fact, most of the apostles disappear after chapter 1. Matthias, who is chosen here, doesn't do anything in the book of Acts, except get chosen as the 12th apostle. He just fills that slot, and then they can move on because now they have 12. It's all about the numbers, and it's all about the numbers because they're living out the script that the scriptures have given them. And they know that the new Israel, like the old, has to be governed by a, uh, by a company of 12. It's this recognition that they are living out the scriptures that give the apostles such a sense of destiny and confidence. They know that nothing that's happening to them is an accident. They know that everything that is happening to them is part of the script because they're reading the scriptures as the story of Jesus and because they are with Jesus and they're part of his body. It's their story too. And the scriptures are working out in their lives as well. They know that they, like Jesus, are going to have to suffer. They know that they, like Jesus, are going to enter into glory. Even something as horrible as the betrayal of Judas and the gruesome death of Judas is part of the script. Kind of imagine what the other apostles thought after Judas had betrayed Jesus. No doubt some of them were shocked. How could he do this? 
He's been with us. He's been performing miracles. He's been preaching the gospel. And suddenly he's turned against Jesus. And he's not just turned against Jesus, but he's flipped sides. He's on the side of Jesus' enemy. And it's because of Judas that Jesus is crucified. We can imagine the dismay of the apostles until they recognize that this is part of the script. Even the bad things that happened to Jesus, his arrest, his trial, his torture, his death, even that is part of the script. Not just for Jesus, but the apostles recognize it that it's part of the script for them too. Even the frustration, frustrations and the apparent setbacks and the apparent catastrophes that the apostles face are all part of the script that's playing out in their lives. And that's what gives us confidence and a sense of destiny as well. The apostles, of course, are unique. And the scriptures are played out in their lives in a unique way that's not true of us. I don't think it would be proper to say, uh, you know, one of, one, of the, one of the elders of our church became a traitor. That we would read Psalm 109 and say, well, he's got to be replaced because the scripture says so. The scriptures don't apply to us in that same direct way. But in, in, an, in an important way, in a fundamental way, your life is simply playing out in a unique way the script of Jesus, death, resurrection, and glory. Each one of you suffers something for Jesus' sake. You're called to do that because you're living out the script that was the script of Jesus' life. Each one of you suffers so that you can enter into the glory of Jesus and share in his glory. We should have the same sense of destiny. We should have the same recognition that we're living within the biblical story. That's our story too. And it's not just the good things that happen. We we get get a new job. Yeah, I'm living out the I'm living out the, the glory of Scripture. It's all the catastrophes. It's all the setbacks. It's all the confusions. Those are part of the script too. This is, a, this is a word that we need to hear in the midst of the confusions of our present moment. Things to be, seem to be turning upside down. They're not. It's all part of the script. We're all called to suffer with Jesus. We're all called to enter into his glory. We're all called to be faithful witnesses and testify of Jesus, whatever the threat. And we're being called to do that in this time. And our lives are scripted by the scriptures, as much as the lives of the apostles, as much as the life of Jesus. To have the same sense of destiny. Because the scriptures, whatever is happening around us, the scriptures are still being fulfilled. Jesus is still living out his dying and his living in us. And Jesus is still proclaiming repentance and forgiveness of sins to the nations. That's still the script. And it will be until the end of history when Jesus returns. Take confidence. Sense the destiny that you have because you are part of that script. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray together. 
Almighty God, our Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy to us through your Son, Jesus. We thank you that he came to fulfill the Scriptures and that in him all the Scriptures, all your promises, and all the Scriptures are yes and amen. And we thank you that as members of his body, those Scriptures are also about us and that we are a people of destiny and we can live life confident that you are working out your purposes, your script in our lives. We pray that you would fill us with your spirit so that we could, like the apostles, live in that confidence, live in that faith. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our King. Amen.